Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my main man, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, brother? Hey, Foltz. What's happening, man? I'm doing good. How are you tonight? I'm good. And as far as what's happening, where do we start? Oh, my gosh. Man, we put out an episode on COVID-19 last week. Uh, Numbers for that were great. we definitely saw in our in the numbers that the people that really wanted the COVID nineteen episode uh, that they listened to it. So we're glad that uh, you guys are all listening to it and enjoying it, and hoping you're getting a lot of information from it. Yes, thank you for listening to uh, the show that we did last week on coronavirus. Uh, we can tell that you're quarantined. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, hey. What better way to uh, spend your time than with a little subtle beast? And uh, just going to continue to bring you up to date. But my gosh, since that, since we launched that episode, uh, Steve, what's been going just on? Just in the last seven days, uh, they closed schools across America, uh, and then they then they canceled the rest of on campus semesters for major universities across America. They closed all bars, all restaurants at first. Then uh, Pennsylvania, specifically today, came out and closed all non-life-supporting businesses. So it is it is down to essential personnel. And it's gotten to the point where um, here in Pennsylvania, our liquor stores are run by the state. So we refer to them as state stores. Um, they're all closed and... Th- I mean, you have to understand that uh, some people's vices are uh, are liquor, so they're taking extra precautions. They're boarding up the windows here because they're afraid of people breaking in. It's it's mayhem, and it is creating a lot of fear and panic. Um, but uh, I've seen panic buying in in a, in a lot of facets. Um, it is there are other parts of it that are eerie uh getting on the highway and not seeing any cars that's weird yeah yeah Yeah. uh well i was uh i was over at steve's house this weekend and uh just just good driving there and coming back i don't maybe i saw one car which the roads that i have to cross to get over there are highly populated uh, side roads and uh, not a vehicle. It's unsettling when you when you're in a grocery store and you're looking at 20, 40 feet of just empty shelving, and you know that's where your staples used to be. That's where your chicken, your meat, your your steaks, your bread, that all those things are out. You know, it, it reminds you of living in a movie, right? And sometimes you have to wonder. Um, what's real and what's propaganda. Um, And I'm not saying that as far as COVID or Corona or even the uh, supermarket shelves being empty, but you have to wonder in all circumstances uh, what is real and what's not. Um, Somebody, I believe it was locally here, posted uh, some pictures to social media. Uh, We have a, well, I won't say the name of the grocery store, but we have a grocery store around here and they took pictures of the local news anchors removing food from the shelves of a bread aisle to make it look empty and then they did their news report in front of it so it almost seemed like it was foreshadowing because it actually did happen then but uh to be completely honest i went grocery shopping today and the 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 shelves were stocked i got everything 
plus I found some things I didn't know that I wanted. So, right. I mean, they're the essentials. Uh, they're still manufacturing like they're still the bakeries are still open so there's going to be bread uh there's warehouses full of, of goods that just need to be transported here to the central pennsylvania area for market so we're not at the point where you know we're out of things but there is just panic buying and, it, and it's creating the bare shelves so it's unsettling to see well steve was showing me uh in pre-show um some uh, toilet paper on what was it eBay or something like that? Yeah, it was just an auction site. Yeah, on online auction site, and <clears throat> to see toilet paper going for upwards of it was close to a hundred dollars. Unbelievable! Know, for and it wasn't a huge quantity. It wasn't a hundred dollars worth of toilet paper. It was, it was, uh, and I don't even think you can really get in trouble for gouging if it's an auction. Right. People right. are offering to pay that much. Right. And I mean, um, unless, uh, well, it'll go hand in hand with our topic tonight, but uh, um, unless an elected official comes right out and says that, you know, no price gouging, you know, you, you may be able to raise your prices, but, you know, you can't sell a, a $2 bottle of water for like eight because uh, some of you, some of our listeners may remember if uh, you're around our age, back in uh, 2000, they tried to recreate Woodstock and they did that there. What well, the people ended up burning the place down. We knew somebody that was there and actually participated. It was, yeah, they, they destroyed the ATM machines. Oh, yeah, and set fire to different vendors. And oh, I'm trying to think. Was it the Chili Peppers that was playing when they did that? I think it might have been. Oh, man. Yeah, that was a, that was a, but it was like a hundred plus degrees, charging eight dollars for a sixteen ounce bottle of water. But I think if you're uh, auctioning it and people, multiple people are there and they're bidding it up like that, I think that's, that's totally perfectly fine. legal. Auctions are legal. I mean, right. So I mean, that's how. I mean, that's the best avenue to do that. I mean, if you got extra toilet paper, and there's people bidding, so I mean, hey. So you got to think, man. If if the if the colleges have closed, schools have closed. Um, well, even here in Pennsylvania, I mean, yeah, the, all the uh, primary and secondary schools are closed, and then they announced today that they're canceling the PSSA testing, which if you cancel that, you might as well cancel the, the, the school year because that's, you know, testing the schools to see how they fare. I mean, the funding comes into, into, into play, so I think that's done with. You know, the kids with the bad grades are probably like, yes, I'm going to pass. I don't have to do the fourth marking period. The The local businesses are closed. Um, I mean, gas. How about the gas prices? Going down, apparently. Um, I actually asked that question on social media today and got responses uh, from all different places. But, yeah, I guess they're decreasing slowly in Pennsylvania in some spots. But I saw other people in Pennsylvania saying they haven't seen anything. Um, the only reason I was asking uh, – was because I had to uh, honestly I had to um, plead ignorance because I well, we work out of I work out of my home during the day uh, when I'm not at the studio and uh, I don't drive that much so I get gas maybe once a month so the last time I got it was like the middle of February so I was like is it I would assume that it's dropping yeah I mean if you look at things from a macro a macro perspective uh, it would be a glut where there's a glut you would think the prices would just plummet right so. You mean well, airlines right now. You can fly from Philly to Miami for twenty bucks. No kidding. Yeah, but once you get there, <clears throat> nothing's going to be open. Oh yeah. I was supposed to be leaving for Key West. T- 
tomorrow. Oh. And we had to cancel that because the governor declared Key West a state of emergency. No restaurants, bars, or what have you are open. Even like uh, big uh, monuments down there, you know, that you would take a picture of, like um, Southernmost Point. They have it blocked off. They have it covered. It's crazy. I mean, you have to think at some point, where is it going to end? Like, what, what, how, how much of an economic impact can we expect or can we be expected to endure? I mean, the people that aren't working out there aren't getting paid. Yeah. I mean, I saw an eerie picture online of um, what Vegas looks like right now. I saw that. At nighttime. And to see something like that with the the amount of money that those casinos are losing, I had to ask myself, well, what's that state going to do? Are they going to end up having to uh, implement some tax on the people? Because those casinos are basically what keep that state afloat and more or less tax-free, if I'm not mistaken. But if you're, I mean, if you're going to take it out on the people, the people should have the right to decide, you know, what they're going to, if they're going to, if they're going to stay home, but the, it, they're not they're not getting that they're being told to stay home so it seems that if they're just doing if they're just being good citizens and being and doing what they're being told by government officials then those government officials should raise the funds to fight that excess taxes that they would be responsible for i totally agree and or compensate these workers that aren't in the tech industry that have the the ability to work from home um I mean, we, we bail out these huge corporations all the time because they lost mass funds. Well, nine times or nine and a half times out of 10, they're not sharing that bailout with their employees that are there day to day. Uh, so, yeah, why don't we bail out the people? Yeah, especially our beloved bartenders. Oh, yeah. Our, just any our men and women uh, in, in the service industry. Because if you're like a lot of people I know who don't know how to cook and they rely on that every night they're probably sitting around eating ramen right now because they've never even touched their stoves i mean yeah the industries are hurting and i really don't know how some people are going to pay their bills and it puts you into um almost a, a a weird predicament especially like if you're into um real estate rentals if that's your livelihood you know you're almost well not almost you expect people to pay rent every month However, if these people are in the service industry and not getting a paycheck every every week or every two weeks or every month, um, how sympathetic can you be when you need that money too to support your family? I mean, it's almost like a catch-22. You want to do what's right, but at the same time, you need the money. Well, I mean, yeah, that you're throwing a rock into the, the water there. Creating you, a ripple. You're, you're talking about the second ripple out there, and it's just going to continue to do that. Um, from an economic perspective, the, the ripple effect from this is is going to be astronomical. Yeah, because you have to wonder how many people right now are living off of credit cards and what is going to be the impact of that? How many uh, people or how many families are going to end up filing bankruptcy as a result of living off, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul and then being out of work so long that your credit cards are maxed and or you can't even make minimum payment anymore. I did hear uh, someone make a comment about, you know, a next baby boom from this. I heard that similar thing. <laughs> yeah. But I, so, I, you know, I digress. Where is it going to end? What What is it that is going to 
be the bottom? When's it going to bottom out? Right. And as things are ramping up, I mean, things are coming out in uh, online and through uh, through the news networks that um, that uh, FEMA is being called in um, to be on standby uh, to be able to go in. And, uh, you know, a, a perfect example of that would be, let's say that you worked like in a, in a hotel and uh, there, there was an there was an outbreak of some of the the employees in that hotel came down with COVID. And it got reported, and they decided to quarantine that hotel. Now, granted, you do have a, a lot of rooms there, but uh, a lot of hotels might have like recycled air, so they might bring in FEMA and be like, "Okay, you guys aren't leaving. You're not going anywhere. Here's your trailers. You're quarantined." I mean, that's the scary thing. And then what happens after that? If FEMA gets called in, what if things people start to, you know, uh, civil unrest happens? People start getting uh, a little crazy. They've been uh, a little cooped up in their houses a little too long. They're a little, running a little low on uh, toilet paper, and they can't find any. And crime is going to start, and it's going to start to, you know, people are going to start to arm up. It, will there be uh, more shootings? People just merely protecting themselves. And if that's the case brings us tonight's topic of which we hope doesn't happen that martial law could be implemented and we discussed it and we discussed it and when we we talked about it we just hope that it doesn't get to this right so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to uh we're going to go over um of course if you're unfamiliar with martial law we'll go over what it is and what it entails and um, some examples and uh, we're also going to go over some things that you can do to not only keep yourself safe but your family safe uh, in the event that uh, martial law does get declared and for some reason or another it goes south and that the, they're just uh, too much a little corruption of power uh, if you will with uh, with whoever's running this uh, particular operation so what we're going to do first is uh, we'll start off with, uh, you know, for those unfamiliar with the term martial law, we'll give a full description and definition. Now, martial law is the imposition of direct military control of normal civilian functions by a government, especially in response to a temporary emergency such as an invasion, major disaster, or in an occupied territory, or an outbreak such as a virus. Martial law can be used by governments to enforce their rule over the public, as seen in multiple countries such incidents may occur after a coup d'etat in thailand in 2006 and 2014 when threatened by popular protest china tianmen square protest of 1989 and 2009's iranian green movement that led to the takeover to suppress political opposition poland in 1981 or to stabilize insurrections or perceived insurrections, Canada, the October crisis of 1970. Martial law may be declared in cases of major natural disasters. However, most countries use a different legal construct, such as a state of emergency. Now, martial law also been imposed during conflicts and in cases of occupations where the absence of any other civil government provides for an unstable population. Now, examples of this form of military rule include post-World War II reconstruction in Germany and Japan, the recovery and reconstruction of the former Confederate States of America during the Reconstruction Era in the United States following the Civil War, and the German occupation of northern France between 1871 and 1873 after the Treaty of Frankfurt. Now, typically, the imposition of martial law accompanies curfews, the suspension of civil law, civil rights, and, Steve, habeas corpus and the application or extension of military law or military justice to civilians 
Civilians defying martial law may be subject to military tribunal or a court martial. Jeez. So, yes. Yeah, so, uh, it's definitely something to be wary of. Um, but uh, let's go a little bit different. Steve, you want to you jump in here? Yeah, this is, uh, okay, second part here, how to survive martial law. I believe, no, I don't think that's where we're at. I don't think that's where we're at. We're going to go with the military's top secret plans if the coronavirus cripples the government. So even as President Trump says he's tested negative for coronavirus, the COVID-2019 pandemic raises the fear that huge swaths of the executive branch or even Congress and the Supreme Court could also be disabled, forcing the implementation of continuity of government. Plans that include evacuating Washington and devolving leadership to second-tier officials in remote and quarantine locations. But coronavirus is also new territory, where the military itself is vulnerable, and the disaster scenarios being contemplated, including the possibility of widespread domestic violence as a result of food shortages, are forcing planners to look at what is so-called extraordinary circumstances above top secret contingency plans already exist for what military is supposed to do if all constitutional successors are incapacitated standby orders were issued more than three weeks ago to ready these plans not just protect washington but also to prepare for the possibility of some form of martial law According to new documents and interviews with military experts, the various plans, codenamed Octagon, Freejack, and Zodiac, are the underground laws to ensure government continuity. They are so secret that the that under these extraordinary plans, devolution could circumvent the normal constitutional provisions for government succession, and military commanders could be placed in control around America. And then that's when it could start to get scary. And then we start heading into a new territory. We're in a new territory, says one senior officer. The entire post-9-11 paradigm of emergency planning thrown out the window, window the officer jokes, in a kind of morbid humor, humor characteristic of this slow-moving disaster that America had better learn who General Terrence J. O'Shaughnessy is. He's a combatant commander for the United States and would, in theory, be in charge if Washington was ever excavated. That is, until new civilian leader could be installed. Now, what happens? Government expert Norman Ornstein asked last week. If so many members of Congress come down with the coronavirus that the legislator cannot meet or cannot muster a quorum, after 9-11, Ornstein and others, alarmed by how little Washington had pre- prepared for such possibilities, created a bipartisan continuity of government commission to examine precisely these and other possibilities. But it's been a two-decade-long futile effort, Ornstein says, with Congress uninterested or unable to either pass new laws or create working procedures that would allow emergency and remote operations. The rest of the federal government equally is unprepared to operate if a pandemic were to hit the very people called upon to lead an emergency. That is why, for the first time, other than planning for the aftermath of a nuclear war, extraordinary procedures are being contemplated. 
Now, in the past, almost every imagined contingency associated with emergency preparedness has assumed civil and military assistance coming from the outside. Now, one military officer involved in continuity plans calls it a cavalry mentality. The military assistance is requested or ordered after local civil authority has been exhausted. There might not be an outside, the officer says, asking that she not be named because she's speaking about sensitive matters. In the recognition of equal vulnerability of military forces, the Pentagon has instituted unprecedented restrictions on off-base travel. Last Wednesday, it restricted most overseas travel for 60 days, and then on Friday issued supplemental domestic guidance that essentially keeps all uninformed personnel on or near military bases. There are exceptions, including travel that is mission essential. The Pentagon says mission essential is, in this regard, applies to the maze of more than a dozen different secret assignments, most of them falling under larger contingency plans. One goes by the name of Con Plan 3400, or the military's plan for homeland defense if America itself is a battlefield. And we also have Con Plan 3500, the defense support of civil authorities, where the military assists in an emergency short of armed attack on the nation. Then there's Con Plan 3600, military operations in the national capital region in, con in continuation of government, under which most secret plans to support continuity are nested. Now, all of these plans are the responsibility of the U.S. Northern Command, or NORTHCOM, the Homeland Defense Military Authority created after 9-11. The Air Force General O'Shaughnessy is NORTHCOM's Colorado Springs base commander. Now, on February 1st, the Defense Secretary, Mark T. Esper, signed orders directing NORTHCOM to execute nationwide panic or pandemic plans. Secretly, he signed warning orders, alerting NORTHCOM and a host of East Coast units to prepare to deploy in support of potential extraordinary missions. Several secret plans, some highly compartmentalized, exist to prepare for these extraordinary missions. Three are transportation-related, just to move and support the White House and the federal government as it evacuates and operates from alternate sites. The first is called Rescue and Evacuation of the Occupants of Extreme Mansion, or RESEM Plan, responsible for protecting President Trump, Vice President Pence, and their families, whether that means moving them at the direction of the Secret Service, or in a catastrophe, digging them out of the rubble of the White House. The second is called the Joint Emergency Evacuation Plan, or JEEP, and it organizes transportation for secret or for the Secretary of Defense and other national security leaders so that they can leave Washington area. The Atlas Plan is the third, moving on non-military leaders, congressional leadership, the Supreme Court, and other important figures to their emergency relocation sites. Under Atlas, a still-secret bunker would be activated and cordoned, with government operations shifting to Maryland. The three most compartmentalized contingencies, Octagon, Freejack, and Zodiac, call upon various military units in Washington, D.C., now, North Carolina and Eastern Maryland to defend government operations if there is a total breakdown. The seventh plan, codenamed Granite Shadow, lays out the playbook for an extraordinary domestic missions that involve weapons of mass destruction. Most of these plans have been quietly activated during presidential inaugurals and State of the Union addresses. The centrality of the weapons of mass destruction scenario seen in the annual Capitol Shield exercise in Washington. Now, last year's exercise posed that a weapon of mass destruction attack on a metro station. Military sources say that 
only the massive destruction caused by a nuclear device or the enormous loss of life that could be caused by a biological agent. Present catastrophe present great enough to justify movement into extra-constitutional actions and extraordinary circumstances. Weapons of mass destruction is such an important scenario, a former NORTHCOM commander said, not because it's the greatest risk, but because it stresses the system most severely. Now, according to another senior retired officer who stated who <clears throat> about Granite Shadow and is now working as a defense contractor, that the National Mission Force goes out on its missions with special authorities pre-delegated by the president and the attorney general. These special authorities are needed because under regulations and the law, federal military forces can, can su supplant civil authority or engage in law enforcement only under strict conditions. Now, when might the military's emergency authority be needed? <clears throat> Traditionally, it's thought of after a nuclear device goes off in an American city. But now, planners are looking at a military response to urban violence as people seek protection and fight over food. And according to one senior officer in the contingency of the complete evacuation of Washington, that is what he stated. Under Defense Department regulations, military commanders are authorized to take action on their own in extraordinary circumstances, where duly constituted local authorities are unable to control the situation. The conditions include large-scale, unexpected civil disturbances involving significant loss of life or wanton destruction of property. The Joint Chiefs of Staff codified these rules in October 2018 reminding commanders that they could decide on their own authority to engage temporarily in military control in circumstances where prior authorization by the president is impossible or where local authorities are unable to control the situation. A new Trump-era Pentagon directive calls extreme situations. In all cases, even where a military commander declares martial law, the directives say the civil rule has to be restored as soon as possible. Now, in scenarios where one city or one region is devastated, that's a pretty straightforward process, the military planner said. But with coronavirus, where the effect is nationwide, we're in territory, we, we're in territory we've never been before. Now, continuity of government and protection of the presidency began in Eisenhower administration, with the possibility emerging that Washington could be obliterated in an atomic attack. The need to plan for a nuclear decision maker to survive even a direct attack led to the building of bunkers and a maze of secret procedures and exceptions, many of which are still followed to this day. Now, Congress was also folded in, at least congressional leadership, to ensure that there would always be constitutional successor and the Supreme Court was added. But before 9-11, continuity and emergency programs were broadened beyond nuclear war preparedness, particularly as hurricanes began to have such devastating effects on modern urban society. And because of an advent of pandemics, broadly beginning in the avian flu epidemic, civil agencies responsible for national security, such as the Department of Health and Human Services, which is the lead agency to respond to coronavirus, were also brought into continuity protection. Now, despite well-honed plans and constant testing over 30 years, the attacks of September 11th severely tested all aspects of continuity movement and communications. Now, many of the procedures written down on paper were either ignored or thrown out the window. As a result, continuity had a second coming. Billions spent by the new Department of Homeland and other national security agencies to ensure that Washington's leadership would communicate and move a whole new system established to be ready if a terrorist attack came without warning. 
Bunkers, many shuttered at the end of the cold shuttered at the end of the Cold War, were reopened and expanded, befitting the panic at the time and the atomic legacy, the most extraordinary planning scenario posed a terrorist attack that would involve an improvised nuclear or radiological dispersed device in an American city. The terrorist attack scenario dominated until 2006 when the disastrous government response to Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans shifted federal government preparedness to formally adopt an all-hazard system. Civil agencies, the 50 states and local communities, particularly large cities, all began to synchronize emergency preparedness with common protocols. U.S. Northern Command was created to harness military assistance in domestic disasters. Its three overarching contingency plans, the product now of 15 years of trial and error. Government at all levels have now extensive continuity programs to respond to man-made and natural disasters, a national response framework that has steadily grown and taken a hold. This is the public world of emergency response, ranging from life-saving efforts to protect and restore critical infrastructure to drills that practice the evacuation of key officials. It is the partnership created between the federal government agencies and the states, carefully constructed to guard the rule of law. In July of 2016, Barack Obama signed the Classified Presidential Policy Directive 40 on National Continuity Policy establishing essential functions that the government agencies were tasked to protect and retain. At the highest level were the national essential functions, those that pose the continuing the continued functioning of government under the Constitution. In order to preserve constitutional rule, agencies were ordered to have not just a line of succession, but also one of devolution. A duplicate chain of individuals secreted outside Washington, available in a catastrophic emergency. Federal Continuity Directive 1, issued just days before Donald Trump became president, says that devolution has has to establish procedures to transfer statutory authority and responsibilities to the secondary designated staff to sustain essential functions. Devolution may be temporary or may endure for an extended period. The directive states and it further directs that the devolution staff be located at a geographically dispersed location, unaffected by the incident, except that in the case of the coronavirus, there may, there may not be such a location. This places the plans for, an extraordinary, for the extraordinary in a completely uncharted territory. Planners not just considering how devolution or martial law might work in a nationwide disaster, but also how these earmarks to implement these very plans have to be sequestered and made ready, even while they are equally vulnerable. Now, Northcom stresses in almost everything it produces for public consumption that it operates only in support of civil authorities. In response to state requests for assistance or with the cons- or with the consent of local authorities, legally, the command says, the use of federal military forces in law enforcement can only take place if those forces are used to suppress insurrection, domestic violence, unlawful combination, or conspiracy. A second test also has to be met. That such disturbances hinders the ex- execution of the laws of the state and of the United States within the state. That is, that the public is deprived of its legal and constitutional protections. Local civil authorities must be unable, fail, or refuse to protect the civilian population for military forces to be called in, Pentagon directives make clear. 
Since Hurricane Katrina in 2006, no emergency has triggered any state to even request federal military aid under these procedures. Part of the reason the senior officer involved in planning says is that local police forces have themselves become more capable, acquiring military-grade equipment and training. And part of the reason is that the governors have worked together to strengthen the National Guard, which can enforce domestic law when it's mustered under state control. But to give a sense of how sensitive the employment of military forces on American soil is... When the New York National Guard arrived in New Rochelle last week, even though they were operating under the control of the governor, Mayor Noam Branson, still found it necessary to assume the public that no one in military uniform would have any policing function. To assure the public. Yep. Local authorities around America are already expressing worries that they have insufficient equipment particularly ventilators, to deal with a possible influx of coronavirus patients. The number of hospital beds, fewer than the potential number of patients that could use them. And brawls have already broken out in stores where products are in short supply. The worst case is that shortages and violence spreads, and that federal military isolated and kept healthy behind its own barricade is called to take over. Orders have already gone to the Secretary of Defense, Esper, and his deputy, David Norquist, remain physically separated to guard against both of them becoming incapacitated. Other national security agencies are following suit, and the White House continually The White House continuity specialists are readying evacuation should the virus sweep through the executive mansion. Not that the president stays there. Yeah, exactly. The plans state that the government continues essential functions under all circumstances, even if that is with the devolved second string or under temporary military command. One of the national essential functions, according to the Federal Continuity Directive 1, is that the government provide leadership visible to the nation and the world while maintaining the trust and confidence of the American people. The question is whether a faceless elite could ever provide that confidence, preserving government command, but also adding to public panic. Could be a virus, too. Very interesting. Now, we know that that was a lot to take in, but that's... That is a martial law in, you know, basically in a nutshell, what what can be done, what would be done, what should be done. But where does all this talk come from? Um, I mean, there's been a lot of talk within the last couple days about martial law. And it seems that there was this fake viral text message uh, online that was, or not online, that was sent to um, some cell phone carriers. And it was spreading rumors saying that the martial law was coming. And uh, as the coronavirus makes its way around the nation, the city, uh, citywide lockdown begins. The internet, even text messages, are spreading false martial law rumors. Now, many viewers and social media users reported receiving a text message saying martial law is coming and to stock up on two weeks' supply of things you'll need. People thought it was real, and soon it went viral. The National Security Council says those text messages are completely fake. Yes, the virus is here. But martial law is not. We have all heard of martial law, but how exactly does it work? How, 
Who has the authority to call it into action? Well, martial law is when ordinary laws are thrown out and military steps in, especially during national emergency. The president... State governors, even county sheriffs can enact martial law. Benton County Sheriff Jerry Hatcher says national and local lockdowns are a health precaution, not martial law. No, no, I have no indication of, of martial law whatsoever. All we are doing is trying to ask for volunteer cooperation from the citizens to, you know, for the furtherment of interest for public safety. We don't want people to get this virus, he said. When martial law is in place, all civil liberties and free speech are no longer protected. In simple terms, the government has all the authority. But martial law is not common. Nationally, it was only used once during the Civil War. Hatcher says, for the now coronavirus, may continue to change the way we go about our lives. This has been unprecedented for all of us. When asked about whether he thinks officials will enact martial law in the near future, Hatcher and his team continuously plug into the White House, and martial law is extremely unlikely. I would be highly surprised. I saw some of the Facebook posts and the rumors, but there is no indication at this point. Political science experts say the best way to stay informed during these trying times is by following qualified news agencies like Subtle Beast, government websites, and official government social media accounts. Fact-checking is crucial, and together we can avoid the spread of misinformation. Today and always, it's really important to qualify the information we receive before we share it. Now, what I think is interesting about uh, what they're saying is this fake text was it fake or was it accidentally sent out um, to create panic to get people into the stores? I mean, that's exactly what happened. It was a fake text that well, they're saying fake text that says you'll need two weeks supply of everything. And then the stores have just been going mayhem. I was just so glad that I didn't have to go near them until today. I mean, but yeah, so all this talk about martial law. And now they're saying, oh, it was a fake viral text message. If you can remember, oh, maybe six months to a year ago, I know we discussed it on the podcast, but uh, Hawaii had this drill. They're saying it was a, it was accidentally sent out as a text message that like a Scud missile was coming to Hawaii. This was about a year ago, and people were taking their kids, and they were putting them into the sewers to protect them. I mean, for like... I don't know, an extreme amount of time, which in that in that instance, any time between 10 minutes and 30 minutes, you thinking that a Scud missile is about to hit your island? And then they're like, oh, sorry, that that accidentally went out. Why was that even prepared to be sent out? I mean... Right, and this is an entire carrier, so it was it was probably a massive amount of people that that text message went out to that said that martial law is coming and maybe it was uh you know a little hack job or something but maybe maybe there's more to it there there is now in the event that martial law would be implemented we're going to discuss on you know how can we survive martial law is the US government making plans to declare martial law several dangers to know about it and beware of it if martial law is passed, a U.S. attack, regional catastrophe, or declaration of war, or even a virus could result in martial law. Warning, gun seizures, mass arrests, how to survive martial law in America, the system of rules that become reality when the military takes over, the regular administration, or the justice of the land. Now let's just say that the scenario that seems so impossible actually happens. The United States is attacked with a weapon or a virus. A major U.S. city, possibly Washington, D.C., 
goes up in a mushroom cloud or in a panic of a pandemic of a virus. Don't think it can happen? FBI Director Robert Mueller is reported to have confirmed the claims made by FBI consultant Paul Williams that Al-Qaeda sought nuclear weapons with the hope to detonate seven nuclear weapons in seven U.S. cities. Paul Williams calls it the Day of Islam, the annihilation of America and the Western world. Now, in such a situation, several cities would be attacked through the use of nuclear technology in close succession. In other words, a nuclear bomb might go off in New York City. Then it might be followed by another blast the next day or even within a few hours in Washington, D.C. Now, such a situation would almost certainly result in a period of martial law. With so many threats and theories about America's collapse, the U.S. government is likely to take extreme steps in a last-ditch effort to hold on to power before all hell breaks loose across the land. Now, first martial law has been looked at in several films. Along with this, no one really knows exactly what it would mean as the way it would take a hold would differ depending on the circumstances. But under the aforementioned Muslim terrorists targeting seven major cities or an outbreak pandemic virus and then attacking suburbs outside and attacking cities in the world, we could expect at least some of the following. A curfew. A curfew before dark would no doubt be imposed. The reasons are obvious. If the military is in an area, they want to ask little questions as possible when they see someone outside. And in the darkness, this feeling would be tenfold. Further, when the military is in, is in charge, fun will be less paramount. In other words, the government and soldiers won't want to deal with the people out in the dark. Employment to continue. Initially, all activity would likely cease if a nuclear bomb or a virus were be to set off or be released in a, in a nearby area. That said, once the threat of injury due to fallout was lifted, the government would want to get people back to work as soon as possible. In other words, we all need work to survive, and that's exactly what the country would want to do, survive. Now, rations would come into play. The military just might end up in charge of rationing out food and supplies, if needed, in the area during a period of martial law. Military tribunals. Don't expect a standard jury and trial during such times. A trial? Yes. Well, in a way. Basically, members of the military or a military commission would meet to determine a lawbreaker's fate during a martial law period, and this would happen swiftly. Further, the public would have to expect much more severe penalties for lawbreaking, particularly for those offenses that could, in any minor way, be tied to violence or, of course, terrorism. In other words, if you were found to be a terrorist under military rule, well, let's face it, the government would probably pass a law putting these people to death. And remember, during such times, the military would not act like local police. In other words, they would probably give possibly one shot before firing and shooting you on site. Jeez. Security. With security, the number one directive expect that leaving a city area by car would be an ordeal we're talking about getting into canada <laughs> actually a lot worse thus travel beyond to places of employment would be severely restricted possibly by permit only detention camps someone not some people might not like to hear this but detention camps would clearly be warranted if such a thing were to occur Back on November 13th of 2001, the president issued a military order involving the detention, treatment, 
and trial of certain non-citizens in the war against terrorism. Basically, this order said that the government could detain non-citizens reasonably suspected of being a terrorist or harboring them as long as they were treated humanely in these detention centers. Which I'm sure they weren't. No, I've seen pictures of it. Yeah. Further, there would be a trial by military commission, in other words, much like the military tribunals spoken of earlier. Beyond this, it is quite clear that the United States has considered such detention situations as how Burton's former engineering and construction subsidiary has a contingency contract with the Department of Homeland Security to construct detention facilities in case the national emergency. An ICE spokesman further indicated that the detention centers would be used in the event of a mass migration crisis. Along with this, it is very hard to know how many people might be detained in such a manner. But guess on nearly every Muslim with any known ties whatsoever to terrorist states being locked up until things can be sorted through. Thus, taking everything into account, we're probably talking tens of thousands. Now, the problem with detention. Obviously, under such circumstances, the United States would have to detain several non-citizens, as was noted earlier. Further, if we're going to be honest, many of them would be Muslims. Again, this was noted earlier. But consider this. What if some of our own citizens were helping the terrorists? Fultz. That's very interesting. Now... What if America ever takes that step where martial law is enacted by the national, state, and even local authorities? It'll likely be a last-ditch attempt for the government of the United States of America to hold on to power. Once martial law takes place, America is, is likely on a fast slope to complete collapse. In a time of collapse of a result of a weapon or mass destruction or a virus, simply a widespread string of terrorist attacks... If martial law is declared in your region, my advice to you is to keep your head and don't get caught up with a mass anger that is likely to erupt as protest by several strong-willed Americans standing up for the red, white, and blue when they feel the government troops are now infringing on their constitutional rights. Instead of losing your head, as a lot of people probably will, uh, if some people pissed off a soldier and he showed up in your neighborhood at your door and wants to search your home for weapons and, 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 and food, and don't, don't get in the way. Let him in as a, as a survival tactic. Keep your cool. Don't make any smart remarks and don't make any threats and don't, like, don't call him a Nazi or anything. You know, make, make their day as pleasant as you would want it and let them think you're on their side even if you're not. And hopefully they'll, and they'll, leave, with a, uh, hopefully they'll leave without you pissing them off. Nobody uh, wants to get called a Nazi. No, no. Because you, you got to figure maybe these guys, they're just doing their job or, you know, we'll get into it later, but, you know, maybe you should have been out of Dodge by now. Now, you see in times like this that, that these soldiers may be acting on orders to simply seize anyone that gives any trouble at all. Boom. That's it. Off you go to a concentration camp and there's a good chance you may never see your family again. And here's why. Now, in time of a collapse, there's no telling what drastic event is going to happen in the coming weeks, months in the community where your family lives while you're away. What if your family has to flee a new danger that comes to the area? What if they evacuate to a distant town? What if you're locked away in a camp and not likely to see them again? Plus, what if a few weeks from now, some thugs arrive in town, find out that your wife has no man at home to protect her and decide they're going to pay her a visit? Well, you see where it's going. 
So back to the day when the government troops show up at your home and put you under house arrest and even demand your guns. Don't do anything stupid. Be smart. Your fam your family needs you. Now, even if they take your guns, it's not going to be the end of the world. Now, remember, this is America, a land of guns. Somewhere, somewhere, someone somewhere is going to have a firearm. So stock, uh, stock some extra gear on hand, you know, the things that you'll want to barter with. And more than likely, at some point, you'll run into someone that you can trade uh, for a new firearm or two in the coming days or weeks, should you uh, need to rearm. Now, there's a lot of red-blooded Americans pissed off today just at the thought that the government may one day clamp down on assault rifles. I think it's a safe bet a lot of these guys are going to end up hauled off. Others will go down in foolish blaze of what they think is glory. Others will end up murdering troops, acting on orders, and then having to flee on foot, hoping they don't get caught. Because if they get caught, there's a great chance they'll be executed shortly after without even a trial. America is likely to become a dangerous land. Surviving in a time like this is going to take intelligent thinking, sometimes calling for a lot of humility. I think it'll be a great time for people to seek God finally, maybe for the first time in their lives. I mean, for, I mean, for real, repentance, faith, the whole shebang. Finally, this will all make sense. Without God, people are going to die, not knowing or understanding how all of this could happen. How America could one day go from a nation blessed by God to a nation now suffering God's judgment. Judgments for massive sins? That will be the reason why America falls. And the one thing you want to also do is avoid riots for the same reason. The last thing you want to do is be swept up in mass arrest. The mass arrest is the danger that we think a lot of people underestimate. Readers would be... I'm sorry, listeners would be wise to consider that you can be separated from your family for several months. If authorities who are clamping down grab you by mistake, just because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, in a time of catastrophic collapse, families and children need their father, husbands, and sons. I think a great strategy for keeping your family intact following a time of collapse is for people to recognize the size, the signs of civil unrest and is it about to take place and then to simply get out of Dodge before authorities can take any kind of action. I like that. It's sound advice. If there's yeah. martial law, you just keep your head low. Yeah, I mean if you're I mean, here's the thing, they're telling you that most likely you should uh you know, get out of Dodge. But if you if you're if you're not gonna do that and you're gonna stay in suburbia and you have troops come to your door, well then you'd better just comply. Right. You, I mean, they're doing what they have to do if, and as long as they're being reasonable, I would comply. Right. All right, so this next section we're gonna get into is a it's more of a guide to, to staying safe. And martial law is one thing that all preppers fear, and it can be a terrifying experience. America is facing times of social unrest that far surpassed historical unrest. Uncontrollable riots, social unrest, and more may lead to call for martial law, no matter who presides over the nation. A massive social uprising has been in the works for a long time. Not only can social unrest cause a call for martial law, but it can happen after any natural or human-made disaster, such as a virus. While not the same thing, we saw President Trump declaring a national emergency to force funds for a border wall, we never know what to expect from government. Since we currently aren't under martial law, and if you hear this, we still aren't under martial law, now's the time to figure out what you can do and how you can prepare. Now, before we dive into the survival mode of this, uh, 
we'll have to understand a few things. The Supreme Court hasn't given us a full definition of what it entails, but martial law is the suspension of ordinary law, the Constitution, the government, more. A military dictatorship replaces the rules during an emergency or civil unrest when the current government cannot perform their job. Martial law isn't just a worry for America. It can happen anywhere in the world, and it can happen for a variety of reasons, such as war, an EMP attack, a natural disaster such as hurricane or Yellowstone erupting, a foreign invasion, civil war, or even a virus. Living under martial law can be scary. The right to a fair trial is waived, and freedom of speech is gone. You can't stop it from happening, which makes it feel even scarier. There are a few things you can do to survive martial law and gain control of your situation. You should stock up ahead of time. Like any disaster scenario, it's best to prepare ahead of time than during the situation. During martial law, store shelves will clear out, sound familiar, in a heartbeat, and going to a store could even be scary. You want to make sure you have plenty of food and water stocked up. Always have a minimum of three days worth of food stored, and you need one gallon of water per person per day. That's a lot. That is a lot. Um, I would think that that would come into like other fluids as well, not just... But I guess it might be tough to get other fluids other than water during those times. You should always keep a low profile. What you don't want is to become a target. Those who riot are civilly civilly disobedient are targets during this time preppers are vulnerable and you need to keep a low profile at times never call attention to yourself never talk about what you have no one else needs to know what your family has or doesn't have don't dress in military style clothing camouflage isn't a good choice save it for the wilderness if you wear military clothing you're at risk for confrontation now just listen don't talk Freedom of speech is gone, so it's best not to talk. Do more listening than talking. See what your neighbors or friends say and hope that no one knows that you're prepping. Lying in this situation is always okay. Trust no one. Now, during martial law, people will try and impersonate military or law enforcement officers. Some might try and become the law. Preppers call this WROL, post-disaster, which stands for without the rule of law. It's possible, so trust no one. That goes for friends and neighbors. They can quickly turn on you for things you might say or do. So trust no one during these scary times. Now, always know the rules. The rules are going to change quickly under martial law. So keep a tab on the current rules to avoid getting in trouble. Write them down or keep them in a notebook. But always pay attention to the rules that the authorities tell you and understand that they can change during the chaos. It can be hard to keep track of everything because you'll receive different reports every day. Keep track of who said what, and that should help. Now, always pretend that you don't even have anything. Now, hopefully, if you've been prepping, you have enough water and food supplies. But you can't let anyone else know you have these stockpiles. You have less reason to head onto the streets, but you need to play, it. You need to play the part. Now, remember, low profile. People will notice that you somehow can never leave your house, and they'll ask questions. Check out what your neighbors do and do that. Go to the grocery store. Pick up bread and other groceries. If you need to pick up supplies, try to avoid large stores like Walmart. Make sure you have cash on hand because ATM and credit card machines might crash. Avoid camps. Avoid getting stuck in camps of or large shelters with hundreds or even thousands of people. These situations can quickly spiral out of control. You're opening yourself up to dangerous scenario and people are likely to react violently. 
bringing your family into these locations is rarely a good thing. And the military can force you to stay once you're inside. So the one thing you need to do is decide whether you stay or go. Now, one of the most important things to decide is if you're going to stay or if you're going to retreat. Typically, the safest place for your family is inside of your house without the lights on. But what if you can't stay there? You don't want to run out of food or water under martial law. Whatever you do, don't make plans late. The military and National Guard are trained to respond quickly and in a calculated way. Figure out how long you can stay in a spot and pick a backpack location just in case you need to bug out. Be prepared to leave if needed. You don't have to die for your home. Now, there can be safeties and safety in numbers. The last thing you need to survive martial law is to have some community. Even if you don't have weapons, you're always safer in a group. You need people that you can count on to protect you. It makes you safer when facing troops or law enforcement. However, make sure you pick the right group and be wary of groups who make poor choices. Leave them behind fast, especially when survival is on the line. So, this is a couple things that you can do to uh, stay ahead of it. Uh, I mean, it's interesting, folks. Yeah, I mean, we've been prepping for years. Yeah, I mean, always you know getting some things here and there. Um, but uh, what you what you're supposed to do is do it over time, so you don't. What's been going on this week or the last two weeks shouldn't be going on. Right, and the uh, the water situation with that gallon of water, they now have the technology to uh, the the sipper straw. Yeah, yeah. That thing has life straw. It you just put it into you can put it in any creek or anything, and you just use that instead of carrying gallons and gallons of water around. Yeah, I've seen a demonstration of that life straw. They got this uh, water from a pond, and you looked at it under a mar- microscope. So much bacteria. Pulled it through the life straw. No bacteria. It was drinking water. And they're cheap. They're really like twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah. I got one. I don't know how long one will last, but uh, you know I've got one. Yeah. Uh, Steve, so do you want to go over some of these uh, last tactics, if you will? Yes. Yeah, so martial law is terrifying. It's a terrifying thing to experience. Imagine waking up to find the world in chaos, looting and riots spreading like wildfire, while law enforcement guns down civilians in the streets. The power grid is down, and there's no telling if it's ever coming back. Murders spiral out of control as society collapses around you. Everything you've come to rely on is gone due to martial law. You have what it takes to protect your family. Do you have it? Do you have what it takes to protect them from the scum of humanity? I do. I know that you do. (laughs) How possible is martial law? Well, the current political divide between conservatives and liberals threatens to destabilize America. Corporations and corrupt governments have brought us to the brink of a class war. The mistrust of police and authority causes riots in the streets and only gets worse with the number of cops and civilian deaths when they increase. Our monetary system is connected to the rest of the world, but just like England, who's to say that our government won't pass a law that sends the U.S. economy into the Stone Age? What about the possibility of a coup d'etat? Even if none of these things come to pass, the fact is the bubble we currently live in cannot hold out forever. With the retirement of the baby boomer generation, America is going to find itself financially bankrupt. When that day comes, you're going to find yourself in the middle of a situation you can't control. Civil courts will fail and military courts will take the reins. Regardless of how much you've prepared for it, 
You have to take some tough decisions. If you want to survive, you need a plan. So what's the first thing you should do, Fultz? Well, like we were saying, you need to stock up on food and water, but you need to do it well ahead of time. Just like in a natural disaster such as a hurricane, store shelves will empty in a matter of hours. We've all seen this. Now make sure you have plenty of food and water stocked and stored at all times. Like we said, at least three days worth of food should always be on hand. Water is particularly valuable, and it is the first thing that will run out in an emergency. Now, following a disaster, your regular water source could be cut off or contaminated, so it's vital that you secure as much clean water as possible. If you're on a well, make sure that you have a generator so that your pump will still be working. The average person needs about a one gallon of water a day for drinking and an additional two gallons for proper sanitation. You need twice as much if you live in a hot climate. You won't have time to gather supplies in an emergency and everyone else will have the same idea. So again, stock up long before. Now, if you do find yourself caught without something you know you'll need, I recommend sticking to gas stations and avoiding large stores like we said earlier. Now remember, credit card machines may crash during a crisis, so it's always a good idea to have cash on hand. So if you got some cash in the bank, might not be a bad idea to take some out right now, just in case. You can always put it back in. And prepare to pay extra for your supplies. Of course, the the law of supply and demand goes into overdrive into crisis. Now if it's too dangerous to leave your house, fill up your bathtub to use drinking water. Once you have as much food and water as possible, it's best to hunker down and play it safe until you can assess the situation. Steve, what's next? So you got to avoid authority at all costs. With riots and looting happening around you, the last thing you want to do is confront police or the military. In this stage, civil liberties will play second fiddle to whatever Congress decides the Constitution should be. Unless your life is directly at risk, you should stay indoors and avoid any situation where you might have to deal with the authorities. Once the violence starts, you're, likely, you're just as likely to get shot down in the street as the rioters are who are next to you. The authorities are only concerned with their own safety, and they won't think twice about murdering you if they think their lives are in danger. Public safety becomes a secondary objective. The president might even completely legalize something like this. Police and the National Guard have been ready for martial law since 9-11 and are trained to view all civilians as the enemy. If possible, avoid them at all cost. If you're held at gunpoint by the authorities, just do what they say, because any sign of resistance will get you killed. Wow. Yeah, it's a big one. Well, I guess one of the bigger ones is like we were saying earlier was make sure that you always stay informed. The best thing you can do in a crisis situation is know exactly what's happening around you. In today's digital digital age, we have access to the latest information at the touch of a button, but we take for granted how much we rely on it. American citizens have relied on fast, immediate communications that when civil unrest becomes commonplace, we could be at a disadvantage. If the government has resorted to martial law, there's a good chance they'll shut off cell towers to try and contain the situation. Television might be useless if the power grid goes down. Your best bet is to a wind-up radio to pick up an AM-FM station. This will become increasingly important if you decide that you have to leave your house and flee the city. Steve, should I stay or should I go? <laughs> That's a classic. Hey, you know what? Going back to that wind-up radio, I, I don't have one of those. Do you have one of those? I do not, but I should get one. I think we should both. We'll put that on our list here of things to get. A wind-up radio. I think that's a great idea. 
So this next segment, should I stay or should I go? This is the most important question you have to ask yourself. Now, obviously, the safest place for you and your family is inside your house with the lights out. But what if you can no longer stay inside your home? Running out of food or water is one of the worst things that can happen to you under martial law. So don't wait until it's too late to make a plan. The National Guard military forces are trained to respond to these kinds of situations very fast with very calculated manner. Know how many days you can stay in one spot and have a backup location ready in case you have to leave in a hurry. Just because it's your home doesn't mean you have to die for it, so always be prepared to leave. If you run out of supplies or find your location is no longer safe, you're better off bugging out. If you live in a major city, it's in your best interest to flee to the outskirts or just head out into the surrounding countryside. No writ or habeas will hassle you there. The problem with leaving the city is new supplies will be harder to find. On the other hand, you will generally find safety outside any city limits and away from the chaos. This is where the survival skills will come in handy. Be prepared to live off the grid in a tent and forage for food and water. If you live in a super dense populated area like the East Coast, be prepared to keep traveling for a while. Also, be sure to keep your safe house secure from armed forces by setting up listening posts and defensive positions around it. Wow, that's 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 pretty interesting. I mean, me and my family, we have a plan. I mean, I know where we're going to go. Um, it's, I mean, and we live in suburbia, but I mean, we would probably still bug out. I mean, it's an area that I'm familiar with, and we would be all right. And it was like I was telling Steve in pre-show, you know, bugging out on my own, that's one thing. I'm golden. I drink a little bit of water a day, maybe eat a little bit, and I can just lay low. But with my wife and four kids, that's a different story. I mean, your your, your alertness is just on overdrive constantly. You're not even worried about yourself anymore. It's just these other lives, and it can be a lot. I'm sure. So one thing you're going to want to do, too, even if you have your family and you think that it's going to be convenient to get them around in your car, ditch it. If you live in a major city and you decide to leave, you're probably not alone. Now, in a crisis situation, the roads will fill up and come to a standstill almost immediately. Have an exit plan that stays away from major highways and intersections. Be prepared to abandon your vehicle and proceed on foot or bicycle if necessary. Although it's not preferred if you have a lot of supplies, this may be the only way to get your family out of danger. Bicycles might seem like a slow option when you're fleeing for your life, but they're much safer than being trapped on the highway with everybody else. I would say so. Yeah, I mean, and what's a what's another great thing you can do to protect yourself here, Steve? Well, you got to arm yourself. Exactly. Whether fleeing an emergency or scouting for supplies, it is in your best interest to carry a weapon for defense. You never know what sort of situation you're going to walk into. And you should stay prepared for the worst. Once society breaks down, it will be every man, woman, and child for themselves. Don't be a victim of society. Protect yourself and your loved ones. I recommend a good hunting rifle for protection as well as the means to feed yourself should supplies run low. Make sure you just don't own your weapon, but you also have the proper training with your firearm. You need to understand it, know exactly how to use it, how to clean it. And how to fix it if it breaks. And I can't stress that enough. 
Yeah, and if there's anybody in uh, in our local area, if you know us and uh, maybe you don't have any firearm training, uh, me and Steve would be happy to help you out. We'll take you up to a local range. We'll get you real familiar with a firearm. So uh, we'll make sure that uh, it's safe for you and you're not afraid of it in any way. So we mentioned this uh, a little earlier, but safety is in numbers, and we, we just can't seem to stress that enough. Now, even without weapons, the safest thing you can do is join a group. Staying on your own might feel safer in the short term, but in the long run, you're going to need people you can count on to protect you and ease your burdens. It puts you in a safer situation when facing federal troops. In a survival situation, you're safer having other people with you, but it's important to choose the right people, like we stated earlier. A mob of people all working together can get more accomplished, but are hard to control. Now, be wary of a group who make poor survival choices that can get you killed. If they won't listen to you, don't hesitate to ditch them behind. Steve, what kind of plans do we need to have? So we need long-term plans. If the government does decide to enact a widespread martial law against its citizens, there's no telling how long it'll last. It could go on for days, weeks, or even longer. Would you have it? Uh, would you have what it takes to endure the harsh realities of life after government and its military has lost control? How does someone prepare for widespread collapse of banks and the economy? Best way is to learn from the past. After the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, its citizens went through a similar ordeal. After the fall, most people stopped going to work because they were no longer getting paid. The banks collapsed and everyone lost their savings. In order to not starve, families were forced to work on the farms and barter their possessions for bread. After the collapse, crime became an ever-present threat and it was no longer safe to leave one's house. A lot of the population could not handle the sudden change from a secure existence to that of no work and no hope for the future. Drugs and alcohol became prevalent in the society, and the average lifespan went way down. Their currency became nearly worthless, and jobs that paid in foreign currency were desperately sought after. Corruption set in and the average citizen found themselves forced to pay for protection from street gangs and ex-law enforcement. And this is the worst case scenario, but its lessons are clear. You should learn how to grow your own food and practice it daily. Keep a small amount of money out of the bank in case the banking system fails. And if you're going to buy any future possessions, make sure they retain value if you have to trade them for something down the line. That's that's definitely wise advice, and I guess overall the biggest thing we can, that we can't stress enough either is just to be prepared. Now, the number one way to survive it, to survive martial law, is to be prepared. Like Steve said, grow your own food, stock up on canned goods, and learn the skills necessary to provide for yourself in the wild. Have a bug out bag ready. Me and Steve have multiple, and make plans for every type of disaster you can think of. Knowledge is the ultimate preparation for anything life can throw at you. Learning from the past and staying informed are your best weapons in the world we live in. Don't trust authority to keep you and your loved ones safe. Trust yourself. Imagine waking up to find yourself prepared for martial law. Others are panicking, but you're calm. You have a plan. This isn't Hollywood. It's a real threat of martial law, and you've been paying attention to recent events, and you know it's only a matter of time before our government turns against us. Even though we live in a relatively comfort and safety, 
The truth is, the world around us is a very unsustainable place. Instead of loading up the car and jumping on the highway, you quietly bide your time until it's safe to leave your home. You stay away from authorities until you find somewhere safe where you can live off the land. Martial law is coming, and when it does, you need to stay strong. With the way society is heading, martial law is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when it all comes crashing down, how well off will you find yourself? Will you scramble in the streets or stay calm? collected and well on your way to safety that's great folks yeah so martial law i mean we're not trying to scare anybody per it's se tough. it's tough to talk about it is a tough subject but you know here at subtle beast we've never shied away from you know the harder topics i mean we we just believe in not we're not into the fear mongering but we're into keeping you well informed and one of the things that we wanted to do was put together a show on martial law following our show on covid 19 because the way that things are you know starting to happen just like we described in in our show they almost seem to be categorically happening systematically one after another and uh we just want you all to be prepared one way or the other Right, it's not something that is out of the realm of possibility. So, if everyone could be uh, orderly, orderly, be respectful to each other. Uh, I did notice when I was out at the store, and they did close the Pennsylvania state stores or what you know liquor stores while the people were in there on the last day. I was one of them. Uh, everybody was really nice to each other. And it made a difference. And I heard somebody actually saying that when I was walking out of the parking lot. They, were, I think they were on their cell phone. They were talking to their significant other. And they said, you know, it's, it was really nice in there. Everybody was being nice to each other. So that can go a long way if you're out there getting prepared for something. And, you know, you, you feel like the layers of the onion have been peeled back to the point where martial law is a good possibility of happening. Just remain calm. Uh, be nice to each other and uh, do things in an orderly fashion. Yeah, and just don't be over and don't be riddled with fear because uh, when you're riddled with fear, then you're going to make rash decisions uh, that that aren't thought through, and it's going to cause a, a lot worse situation for you and your family. So right now, like Steve said, you're going out to the grocery store. Just be kind to one another. We're all there for the same reasons. So just look at somebody else. It's just it's just a different consciousness living outside of you in, in another body and we're all connected in one way so if you believe in the multi-dimensional or parallel universe theory in some in some world you may be her or him and they may be you so treat them like you would treat yourself it's good so that's martial law we're not trying to scare you we're just trying to prepare you and uh we're going to keep the news cranking here as soon as we get it and uh until next time i'm folds and i'm steve and we'll see you next time take care of one another Bye bye